Welcome once again to another of our live CM conversations. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us again for this one. I know there's been a huge number of people um, signed up to see what we're going to be talking about today, which is how to take your medical device to market. Um, get introductions out of the way first. My name is Chris Holland. I'm Director of Marketing and Communications at uh, Charlton Morris. Um, and I have the pleasure of being joined with Henry Bell, who's one of our principal consultants from CM Medical, and Deborah Rizzi and Stephen Haken from Odell, who are market access and reimbursement specialists. So rather than me do the introductions, I will hand over um, to them to, to give you a little bit of an intro to who they are and what they do. So Henry, do you want to start us off? Yeah, hi, hi everybody. I'm I'm Henry Bell. Um, I've been specialising in medical devices, executive search now for for nearly ten years. Um, I'm the son of an anaesthetist and an orthopaedic surgeon, so I've been exposed to the industry for for all my life. Um, prior to this, joining Charlton Morris, I was at a company called MD Medical Devices, a consulting firm. So I worked with some very senior people from the likes of Johnson Johnson and Bard. So have a broad experience uh, in the medtech world. Perfect. Thanks, Henry. Deborah? I'm Deborah. Um, I am Australian, as you will be able to tell very soon into this conversation. Um, my background is I was a nurse. I was a registered nurse in Melbourne uh, for 10 years. Um, and then I moved to the UK in 2006. So I've been here since then. So uh, in 2007, not long after I landed, I got a role as a sales rep with Covidian, who were Tyco Healthcare at the time. Um, and I was with them for three years, and then I moved to an SME. And that role was primarily a, uh, their business model was one where they were direct in the US, but then had distributors everywhere else. So I was a clinical support specialist there for parts of Europe. And then through varying roles, I ended up managing all of EMEA. So that was my commercial career. And then I moved to Odell at the start of 2019. It's hard to tell. <laughs> Great. And last but not least, Stephen, do you want to give us a brief intro? Of course. Hello, my name is Stephen Haken. Um, Odell has been in operation for probably 15 years. It's based in the United Kingdom and in France. We have an office in both countries. Um, we have been helping people with market access, reimbursement and government affairs in medtech and biotech. Um, and I think the secret to our success has been that we do common things, but uncommonly well. Thank you. Superb. Great. So um, we'll move on to the first question in a second, but uh, I'd just like to say as well, uh, hello to everybody watching us on LinkedIn Live, um, or hello also to people listening to um, the recording of this. If you do have any questions um, that you would like me to put to our panel of experts, then um, please do put them in the chat on the LinkedIn Live. Um, and if we have time at the end, we'll, we'll try and get to them. But to kick things off, so I've just got to a point where my new um, device is ready to go commercial. I've been through all of the you know, various regulatory steps and stages. I've got my CE mark. And Henry, how do I assess the best route to market for my business? Um, well, I hope if you're at the stage you're at now, then you've done really your, your due diligence to, to get to this, to this point, um, you know, to kind of focus on what you need to do to be successful. The, the kind of the process of commercializing a medical device now has become you know, more, more and more complicated, you know, the changing regulations with the MDR, there's the increasing, you know, time and cost to markets and the, the demands from the payers. So, so really, you've got to have a really in-depth understanding of the key markets, the reimbursement and the, the coverage that you need from, from an early, 
you know, early in the development process. So I think it's you know, important that the CEO, the founder, the investor has the, made the responsibility to, to make sure the relevant skill set and understanding is within the company, um, you know, within the team. You know, so you have people in place who have you know, the, the, the expertise in reimbursement and market access. Okay. And you mentioned, um, you know, due diligence being a really important part of that. I don't know, Stephen, if you wanted to expand on that a little bit, you know, what, what, what due diligence is going to be involved? Absolutely. I think um, with regards to due diligence, there's, um, I would suggest that there's through a process and it's not off the shelf due diligence. Um, it's to understand the payer landscape relevant to your particular technology in Europe. I think this helps create a cascade of options and creates a dashboard for the young player or any player really to recognize the difference in the healthcare systems funding mechanisms is extremely important. You should also have ideated um, and or developing a, a value dossier that's updated through evergreen data um, or scrub data if you like and developing strategies to secure either um, contractual or clinical reimbursement coding at the hospital or the regional commissioning stage. I think COVID's created some new opportunities in the private sector as well, um, where the head of provider strategy um, or the head of hospital relations, let's say AXA or Helios, um, can sit down with a manufacturer and sit down with um, a, a provider and it's joined up thinking and it seems to work extremely well. As you know, you can have a private code for a process or a device, but it's not necessarily reimbursed. And this sort of thing is working right now in a number of countries across Europe. Um, I think that the methods for nesting, it's a new, a new method for, if you like, getting out of the weeds on these processes. Um, and it brings, there's also, this is also true in the public sector. It's a way you can bring commissioners and suppliers together to create contractual services. This is particularly true now with the, with the integrated care systems in the UK and the CAFAOs in Germany and the territories in Spain. There's also a great ability to plug your technology into secondary healthcare data and tertiary healthcare data that's joined together under, one of one of, uh, under a unique identifying code. And so that you can actually visualize the impact of your technology on a population, say an inter integrated care system on an STP or on a territory in Spain, France, or Germany. So the other thing I would say in finishing is probably always examine partnership opportunities for your for, for, for a potential client. Ah, perfect. So that was seamlessly leads me on to my next question there, talking about partnership opportunities. Um, so obviously, you know, we've already mentioned market access, and that is something that you guys at Adele specialize in. Um, but Deborah, do you want to just talk us through market access and you know how it works yeah for sure so everything that Stephen just mentioned actually is is all part of market access but if you're looking at it from a, a top level market access is about finding the best conditions for your technology to enter into a country so by that we mean via which route at what price um, which countries do you launch first what countries do you then focus on with your limited resources because resources are always finite and so what we do with market access is we're always looking at it through the lens of the payer and by a payer in market access terms because henry's mentioned it about payer landscape and steve has mentioned it as well it's the payer in, in a market access mind is 
anyone who influences the decision-making process. So of course you have the clinician on one side, which is incredibly important, but it's everyone else along that pathway as well. And so when you look at it through the lens of the pay, you're going, so what's their unmet need and what evidence do they require that we could then make sure that we have that evidence base. And so really, again, that due diligence piece is about performing this due diligence around, this is the current environment. You perform this so that you then, your decisions are based on insight. And so you, you nothing is left to chance. So with, you know, if, if someone is, is at that stage of, or a company is at that stage of taking a device to market, what sort of timescales are involved from a market access perspective? You know, when should, they'd be getting involved with the market access program or how long should they be engaging with it for? What, what are we talking about there? Yeah, so I've got a few questions in there. So from a, if I backtrack a bit, so the, the timelines, if you allow, if you were to look at, let's say the top five countries in Europe, which is always a good kind of starting point, um, you would allow at least 12 months, but that would be broken up. So for example, and nothing is, this isn't set in stone, but more of a guideline. So for example, if you were to go through this process at the start, you would want to, you know, to have the client have the innovation and read and understand all the literature that they have, understand about the data that's there, um, what data they have, will it satisfy all markets, will it be enough to satisfy the payers? So this way you're basically you're starting from a level playing field and you're all singing from the same song sheet, so to speak, when as, as the innovation. Then you would do this a research, a research phase where you would go, okay, so this is the innovation. What's the current standard of care? How does it fit into that? What is the current pathway? Does it, can it piggyback onto there? Do we need to start a new pathway? Is it changing the paradigm? So that's the research phase as well as Stephen mentioned it, the reimbursement landscape. It's, it's crucial in medical devices. Do they get funding? Is there funding available? Um, another part of this process over these 12 months would be stakeholder mapping, which is looking at, again, not just the clinician who are so important and without clinical buy-in, you, you won't get very far, but it's everything else. And it's about looking, well, is the stakeholder, it could be a person, it could be an organisation. Stephen's mentioned the regions in Germany. Um, it was very much regional influences across Spain, but, uh, or Spain or Italy, but looking at, from a stakeholder perspective, who influences them and who do they influence? So you're starting to um, really understand the dynamics involved and who really are, are the decision makers. Okay, great. Um, and so this, you know, using a service like market access going into that, is, is, this, is it a new thing for, for med tech companies? I don't have a competitor, there's nothing else like it. But then your competitor is your standard of care. You always have a competitor. So and they're often the hardest ones when you're changing a mindset. So basically it's, it's, it's doing this, um, that takes time. And then once you've got the pieces of the puzzle, you start to bring it together and then you can really talk about strategy and you can talk about, well, here's our pricing, here's our differentiation here. We can prioritize from a country level, talk about the value proposition again, from a payer perspective, what you can have different ones for different payers. And so really this whole process is about laying the foundations. It's, um, it's kind of like when you go past a building site and they've got the fences up and you can't see anything and you think nothing's happening for six months and then all of a sudden the frames go up. That's, that's market access. It's about 
laying the foundations, getting everything ready. So exactly to Henry's point as well, you can, you can hit the ground running. So it's the process is finite, but around about 12 months. That's a long-winded answer to the, the question, but I think there's lots of, there's different aspects to, to market access and how you would do it, but that would probably be a, um, a, a, good, a good start. No, and, super. Sorry, super. you asked how early. Yeah. No, 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 that's great. That's, that's, I think that, um, yeah, I suppose if you want to expand on that a little bit, you know, how early on in the, in the process should we be engaging with, with a company like this? Yeah, it's funny. I think in the med device world, we, well, pharmaceuticals tend to start, they're very much first with market access and they start three to four years before. I think like in med devices, we start three or four years after, which is not so great. So um, so I would say um, as soon as possible, and Henry always mentioned it, you know, mentioned it before, you can't, obviously you can't sell without a CE mark. What I would say is when you're at that point, a year before when you're, you're, you're close to the CE mark, you're speaking to the notified body and you're going backwards and forwards. So your CE mark, CE mark is, is effectively imminent. That's the perfect time to start because you have, from market access perspective, you have enough of the data that you need. Um, you, you can really start to do this before you have the CE mark at that end process of regulatory. So that's what I would say. About a year before CE would be perfect. Okay, so CE mark elect. That sort of stage. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Um, and I mean, you mentioned there, Deborah, the the relationship that pharmaceutical companies have have with 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 market access and, and it being a, a long term, long running thing. But is this a, a relatively new thing for the the med tech industry? It's new in the sense that it's not been front of mind and it's not often invested in. Um, so, yeah, certainly pharmaceuticals are definitely more advanced, but there's absolutely a shift now in, in the medical device world. So um, it's new-ish, but there's definitely more impetus now for people to realise that, yeah, we really have to do market access for, for med devices. We're, we're lagging a bit behind our pharmaceutical cousins. Okay. Okay, great. So uh, if we move on uh, then, obviously, Henry, you're here representing CM Medical um, and from that, you know, adding that recruitment side to things and, and market access is a crucial stage for companies in, in getting that product to market. But when's it a good time to make that first hire, to, to hire someone to take your device to market? And I suppose as a follow-on question, what should I be looking for in that person? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really interesting kind of thinking when, you know, focusing on commercializing your, your device and building the team around that because having the right team in place and having the right talent in your company is, is really one thing that can either make or break your success. So I think kind of if you take a little bit further back, you can kind of start thinking about, you know, what do you need to do to attract the best talent to your company? Um, and what we like to do here is talk about kind of building an online marketing, you know, platform really focusing on attracting the best talent to your company and you're really kind of branding for talent obviously it's great to, to tell the industry about how great your, your product is your therapy but but also you need to start getting information out there and content out there about you know what, what's the leadership like in the company what's what's the company's culture what's the company's mission so that when we do come to this critical stage of trying to go out there and, and, and headhunt, you know, one of the top guys in the industry to, to join your team, 
this person already has all the information that he needs to kind of go, oh yeah, no, fantastic. I saw, I saw the CEO's interview about the kind of the culture he's really trying to build. Yeah, they've been on my 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 um my radar for for a couple of months now, and the technologies and the therapy is really interesting. Um, so that's what we always say. So we always start that that process a lot earlier. But but in terms of kind of the first hire for a commercial, what you should be looking for. In Europe, we kind of see it typically done in, in two ways. Um, you know, you've done the market access now. So, so now it's kind of, are we going to target one country to, to really get set up there? Um, so typically, we normally see it's, it's Germany. I don't know if Deborah and Steve would agree on that. You know, Germany seems to be always the first focus. So, so from there, you potentially be looking to hire a, a country manager or, or or a sales director, somebody who has experience within, you know, kind of SMEs or the startup world. So they, they, they have that cultural experience, you know, they know what to expect, that it's going to be a very hands-on role. There's not going to be much back office function. Uh, they're going to have to set up their, their own legal entity. They've got to have experiences with logistics and supply chain, you know, how actually to get the device into the country is something that can potentially be overlooked. So, but then also somebody who's got the network with uh, the key opinion leaders to drive the therapy adoption. Um, and then also somebody who has experience to kind of slowly build up a, a team of junior sales reps, clinical affairs, engineers, you know, the support team as well. Um, and then kind of the second potential route that we often see is uh, a more of an international European commercial leader. Um, somebody who can uh, have a network of you know an indirect business model they can set that up working so can access multiple markets at the same time um, but they've got to have that the distribution management experience because it, it can be quite difficult working with these distributor partners to make sure that they are prioritizing your product as much that needs to be done at the start so it's, it's another very kind of complex role and, and you need to have somebody who's got a lot of experience doing that. Um, but then you'd want to have that, the person with the experience and then hopefully then move the, the business models to a bit more of a hybrid. So kind of then going direct in certain, certain countries. Um, so it sounds like the, 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 obviously there's a, there's a fundamental need for certain skill sets and certain experience that people have, but it sounds like the number one thing that we're looking for is, is would be, I suppose, enthusiasm, isn't it? Someone that shares as a founder, someone who shares your enthusiasm and is willing to get their hands extremely dirty yeah, in absolutely. to market. It is, yeah. it is a, a very much a roll up your sleeves and uh, a, a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of travel, uh, a lot, a lot of kind of the, ha the hands-on meetings with uh, the key opinion leaders and, uh, and then obviously on this side, you know, hopefully working with potentially partnering with another company with uh, the, the market access and the reimbursement and the coverage, because at the end of the day, what makes uh, a medtech startup successful is it is having that good return on, on investment from the funding uh, and having a, a really building, being able to build a strong team and, and the talent and obviously having the right product for the right market. Absolutely. No, it is, and I think we've what we've what, and thank you to to you all for for really outlining those two, you know, quite clear routes and and ways that we can go down. But Stephen, if I can come to you and and say, there are, I suppose, 
other ways of, of taking um, your device to market, isn't there, in terms of other types of partnerships? Um, if you want to, you know, I know that's something you've got experience of. If you want to talk a little bit about that, that'd be great. Absolutely. Um, I think that there's, um, I, th I think when you think about it in a, a healthcare system or hospitals or primary care networks, you're looking at a great deal of intelligence is invested in ignorance when there's a need for an illusion, um, for a deep illusion or, or, or delusion. So people fear things in proportion to their ignorance. So that being said, what I would suggest is that um, you have to provide people with, a, you have to provide them with a way of seeing things and you have to provide it with data and you have to provide them with the value that's relevant to those people so that they overcome, they, 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 there is immense intelligence in the healthcare system, but it's, it's divested into ignorance. And when you arrive, that's where it is. It's in the ignorant phase. So I think partnerships open a, a whole portal for a lot of interesting companies. One example would be, we have a, we had a, we have a client, an AI system. It was an MIT spin-off. It um, was in its infancy. It was a diagnostic that was used to detect um, interstitial um, lung disorders um, from a CT scan. So we created a study from 27 international centers around the world. We created four sentinel papers that were done through um, some KOLs. We presented those papers and the studies to um, two large pharmaceutical companies um, who manufacture a therapeutic for that condition. They then invested into some substantial pilots across Europe. The pilots produced the evidence that was required. So we overcame, we overcame the ignorance and we changed the focus of different teams. And then that particular pathway um, became a national standard of care in five of the major countries in Europe. And so the installation base went from 25 to over 2,500 because we partnered with someone. And the same thing happens right across all modalities. I've seen it when you, when you talk to people in cancer national programs, the care clinical reference groups across parliamentary reference groups inside of Germany and France are extremely influential. You've got territorial pathway directors inside of um, France and Germany and Italy as well. So partnering with pharma, particularly in some areas, is extremely beneficial. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know, do you? So right. I suppose <laughs> by exactly. partnering, having that conversation, it opens a huge amount of doors. And I mean, speaking of partnerships, I'm conscious of time. And there's been a few questions as well. But um, obviously... CM Medical and Adele um, are partnering together. Um, now we're really excited to, to discuss that and announce that. Um, so I suppose between us, we can hopefully really help offer that total market access startup solution to businesses. But I suppose, Henry, if you want to give us your thoughts on that, on, on that partnership. Well, we just feel that it's a, a really unique solution that we can uh, that we can kind of offer offer a lot of our, our clients and our, and our partners. I think at, at CM we we work with a broad um, selection kind of partners from startup to to, to the kind of the corporates. But um, you know, this this what we can offer is is going to be really exciting, and I don't think that there's a lot of other people who can offer kind of this this solution and this and this package to the industry. Absolutely. Great. And, and yeah, I, I don't know if Deborah or Stephen, you got anything you want to add to that, but yeah, we're buzzing about it. I, I just think it's, it's the adding 
you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We're all really good at certain things. And Stephen is a huge believer in collaboration, all that, what are you saying about the strategic partnership, all that, it's about going, I've got certain skills and you've got certain skills and how do we come together? And that's in life in general and with startups, with SMEs, with everything. So it's definitely about focusing on the skills that we have and then making that better for... Yeah, opportunities don't happen, you create them. Absolutely, that's a, a great uh, that's a great quote. We can pull out of this. Appreciate that, Stephen. <laughs> he's, got, he's got many. He's got many, Chris. <laughs> so look, we'll. Um, I mean, we've got five minutes left, and we may. Um, there's been some really interesting questions, so we may run over the the half hour time. Um, but anybody who does want to catch up with this, as I say, we'll be releasing it as a recording. Um, so if you do have to dash off, then. Um, well, hopefully not the, the panel, but anybody watching has to dash off, then um, <laughs> then you can catch up and catch the end of it later on. But so a couple of questions. Um, and I suppose if I start off with this one from Peter Kudenis, um, Stephen, if I put this one to you, what is the biggest EU MDR challenge right now? I think what's going to happen, I think the MDR is a very good thing in Europe. And I think that the reason it's good is because it, it eliminates equivalence. So equivalence would be an example of a good, a good example of equivalence is in the cardiac space. What a lot of people do is claim to have the equivalent evidence of somebody. So it might be a transesophageal Doppler system compared to an external way of measuring cardiac output. And this has gone on for years in Europe and America. So what we've done now is that you actually have to produce your own evidence if you have been claiming equivalent. So if you say that your system is the equivalent of another system and you claim equivalence, you can no longer do that under the MDR regulations. And I think that's not only the biggest challenge for many medtechs, but the greatest opportunity. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, and no, I think it, it I absolutely think so. So we've had a couple of questions um, from, from Pete Moss, which revolve around um, the, the sales channel. Um, so Pete said, um, firstly, once market access is arranged, the challenge for a lot of companies is the sales channel. Um, is it time for an alternative sales model for medtech? And we've obviously touched on that a little bit. But then also, you know, is should we be introducing variable cost models, um, you know, rather than having everything on headcount? So I suppose anyone who wants to take that question, your thoughts on, on variable cost models and, and alternative sales channels? I think there's a number of ways of looking at outcome-based costing, and there's many, many different models involved in this. Um, I think that if you, what you really have to do, if you're going to create a reasonable health economic model, is you have to obtain patient-relevant data for your, for, your, for your technology. So if you go into a trust, if you go into, an, uh, into a territory, then um, you have to present your, the perspective of how your technology will impact on that particular patient pathway. And if you have to re-engineer the pathway. So I think that whether you do it from bottom up or top down type of costing, you can do both um, depending on what the hospital uses. Generally it's a top up, or sorry, top, top down type of costing in some countries. So you would have to keep that in mind. So I'm not really answering the question. What the answer to the question is, is where costing will change and where the medtech or the biotech will have to get involved is patient data. There are ways of engineering your system into current data over five and 10 year models. So that's what you have to get involved in. And I think that answers the question. Yeah, no, no, that's great. That's, I appreciate that. And 
We've had um, a couple of questions around um, reimbursement as well, which I know we haven't um, really got onto. And I think that we, if you guys would be going to put you on the spot now, but if you guys would be happy to maybe do something as a follow-up more around reimbursement, I think um, yeah. that would probably be really valuable um, just because I'm, I'm conscious we don't want to, you know, yeah. <laughs> really try and cover what is a huge topic in a very, very short space of time. Um, but so one other question then um, that's actually coming from, from Ben Thompson. Um, is there a stark difference in the way in which a blue chip approaches market access and reimbursement compared to a startup? Or are they broadly the same processes? That's a good question. Um, so with regards to that, there's, there's two parts to the question. So reimbursement, if we're looking at the DRG code, so DRGs are primarily focused on Germany and France. So you need that formal pathway in order to get reimbursed in a process. And that's just primarily an inpatients. Outpatients is a completely different kettle of fish because there's a tariff codes in both countries. So I think you have to go through that process, be it whether you're a startup or you're a, um, a blue chip, if you're a, if you're a striker or a Smith and Nephew or a Medtronic. Um, I think if you are a, um, if you're looking, depending on, it's all, it'll all dependent on the technology is what I would say and where it's positioned in the patient pathway, if it's an outpatient or it's an inpatient. Um, do they approach it differently? I think if you're a small startup, you have immense flexibility, but you don't have the resources. That's the problem. So you've got to come up with inventive solutions. You really do. Um, so yes, I would say there's a fundamental difference because if you're a large startup, you can go and you can look at managed services, for example, as Medtronic does with Cath with lab, cath labs and other companies, Johnson & Johnson, for example, at St. Tommy's, and um, what they do in some of the other companies do inside of Helios. Um, so yes, I think there's a fundamental difference, but I think that there's opportunities in both area. We only have a short time. I could cover that for hours. <laughs> no, no, as I say, and I think there's so much more to explore on these topics. There but, is. Um, Look, I mean, we've, we've come to the, the end of the allotted um, half an hour that we put in for this. But as I say, it would be brilliant to, to talk more and a future um, focus about reimbursement. But I'll ask all three of you, um, you know, just before we just before we we finish, um, if you have any final thoughts on on this topic, you know, how to get your, your medical device to market or any. You know, the number one things I suppose someone should consider. So I suppose Deborah, if we start with you. Sure. Um say start early. Start as early as you can and really don't look at the market access function as, um, look at it as, a, as, as the important function that it is. Having, coming from our own experience and, and doing what we do now, it's just such an important part of the medical, of our industry. Um, and so I would just say invest in it and start as early as you can because it will make a difference in the long term. Right. Henry? Um, yes, really start thinking and focusing on your, your online hiring story and your branding for talent to really start trying to work out how you can win the best talent for your, for your team and then grow the company that way. Great. And Stephen, if we... Um, yes, I'd, I'd say that the heroes and the zeros are always created at where you bring the CEO of a territory or trust or an integrated care system together with the manufacturer and together with the contract department. That's where the heroes and zeros are made. Superb. So look, I mean, 
Thank you very much, everybody, uh, for your time. Thanks, everybody watching on LinkedIn as well. I hope you found this as productive and interesting as I have. I think the main takeaways there seem to be um, plan, plan ahead, be strategic, you know, think about where you want to be 12 months from now and what you need to do in order to get there and, and really explore collaborations and partnerships, um, particularly if you are that, that startup, you know, that, that small company. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Deborah, Stephen and Henry for your time. It's been brilliant having you, um, having you on, um, on the podcast. And yeah, thanks everyone for watching. And if you have anything you'd like to discuss with us on anything like this in future, you can email us at cmconversations at charltonmorris.com. But that's all for now. So thanks very much and goodbye.